Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Amen. Hey, thank you, team. Thank you all so much for leading us and helping us today. Aren't you thankful for these great, wonderful folks, man? Just love our team, love, love how diligently they prepare, and uh, man, just grateful for the way they serve. Our sound team back there, we couldn't do it without you guys. Thank y'all so much. Just love y'all, man. Uh, you know, guys, uh, you saw that there on the announcements, man. We have another Keeping Marriages Healthy on March the 4th, and man, my wife and I would, would just love the opportunity to spend the day just building into your marriage and you building into ours. And if you've been through it before, you understand it's a whole lot of stuff, and there's no way you could get it all in one day. So, man, please come again. Uh, we need you. We need to do life. Uh, I love doing stuff for my marriage. I uh, constantly love to build into it. Uh, man, it's just a day you get to spend uh, loving on each other and working through things and finding tools and being reminded. So, again, man, March the 4th, please sign up for that if you'd like like. Um, and then also, uh, man, Justin, again, man, just from the bottom of my heart, man, I celebrate, man, that you've been at this church for seven years. I just do. I just am so thankful for you, brother. I'm jealous because you're three years ahead of me, and you've been able to experience these wonderful people for three more years than I have, and I'm just grateful. But, brother, you truly are the definition of an associate pastor. You just really are. And uh, couldn't ask for anybody better, bro. And you know I mean that. Um, you know I mean that. I don't, I don't know if you guys kind of know what's going on. I'm trying to finish the second part of a message we started last week. And uh, I'm going to be really transparent with you guys. Y'all okay if I do that? Okay, I got two people. All right. Now we talking. That's what, all right, now, all right. No, um, here, here's the deal, man. In my, in my soul... I really struggle with how to communicate this last part with you guys. And so, um, I just don't know if I should say this, but I just want you to kind of get on the inside of a pastor's heart for a second. And we're, we're trying to grow the church, and, uh, you know, man, I'd love to reach more people with the gospel. So a lot of times I struggle with, Man, you know, God, can, can I just say this better? And how can I say this? And I spent a lot of time on just, just, man, polishing that sermon to make it the best that it possibly can be. And then there just comes days when I'm like, God, I didn't really, man, I just don't know what I'm doing and I'm struggling. And, and my fear is, is that you won't think I'm a good preacher. And I'm just letting you in on that, man. I struggle with that sometimes. And and I just am so thankful to have those kind of weeks because God always steps in and reminds me, Steve, it's never been about you to begin with. My word is sufficient. Just preach my word. And so I just want you to know, man, as I was just praying before I got up here, I'm like, God, I just have faith in your word. Because today I just don't know that, that man, they're, they're going to think much of what I have to say. But I really hope they have a whole lot to think about what you have to say. So... Here I am yet again, just being dependent upon the very thing that God's called me to preach. And so, uh, man, I, 
I just want you to know that's where I'm kind of coming from this morning. I'm just trusting God's word to be enough. You know, I was thinking about fire ants. Y'all know what those things are? Man, I was out playing tennis the other day, and I was just kind of standing by the fence. And some of them bad boys, I had literally had ants in my pants. And I, I, I'm not lying to y'all, man. One of those suckers latched hold of my knee and wouldn't let go for dear life. And I'm over here doing the, the dance. You know, I'm trying to get him out of my shorts. And Justin goes, what's the matter? You got an inch in your pants? I'm like, yeah, I really do. <laughs> and that thing is still swole. My knee, I still am struggling with my knee. And that's been like a week and a half ago. Something so infinitesimally small can make a huge difference. Right? Isn't that crazy? That's just stupid. You think about this, man. Any of y'all allergic to bees? Anybody allergic to bees in the house? We got quite a few. How many of you like them bad boys? One of them gets a hold of you. I mean, just this little bitty thing just kind of flying through there, and you're like, what happened? Little bitty thing, man, makes a huge difference. Talked about it last week, mosquitoes. <laughs> well, see, when I was living in the other part of the world, I thought, I knew what mosquitoes were. I came to Texas, and the mosquitoes here ride horses. These things are crazy. I don't know what y'all did, but the Texas mosquitoes are a different breed. And I'm allergic to mosquitoes. Like So when they, they whatever they do, bite you, sting you, I don't know. They stick a straw in you and suck you to death. That's what I think they do. I really swell up. And, and, and I just think, man, how can something so small make such a huge difference, right? So then I got to think, man, if something small can make a big difference, wouldn't it logically be apropos to say, well, then, man, if something small can make a huge difference, something big should make even a bigger difference, right? You'd think that. I mean, that's, that's just kind of where my brain goes. You know, something big has to make a bigger difference. And so if you agree with that kind of logic, then you would have to kind of conclude with me, then you know what? A mosquito biting me would make a really big difference because I'm allergic. But if, if Jesus really rose from the dead, that'd really have to make a huge difference. You just, you just really had to think about that. And so we've been talking about this idea that, that Jesus rose from the dead and Paul's saying, that, listen, guys, you've got to know that, that Jesus rising from the dead made a difference. And so the people there in Corinth, because of their Greek philosophy, if you remember, from Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and all these guys, they, they were taught that the body itself was evil. And so the, the thing you wanted to do in your entire life was to escape from your body. And so, man, the idea of a bodily resurrection was offensive to them. So, so man, it's really cool that you're preaching that Jesus had a bodily resurrection, but please don't tell us we're going to have one. Because, man, we don't really like that idea. And, and Paul's been saying to them in 1 Corinthians 15, he's been saying, listen, you guys have already believed in a bodily resurrection. You know that, that the bodily resurrection is true. You were saved by it. You stand in it. You've been, been secure in it. And so now why are you questioning whether, whether or not that's going to make a difference for you? You are going to have a bodily resurrection. And Paul's saying, man, that the, the resurrection of Jesus has made a difference. It's not the way you escape evil. 
It's the way that you actually connect with God. And, and Jesus Christ is in a resurrected body. You're going to have a resurrected body. And so we begin to talk about Paul's kind of thinking through in 1 Corinthians 15 through 20 through 28. We, we read that. We're going to read it here again in a minute. That Paul's talking about, listen, I want you guys to understand the difference the resurrection makes. If you remember last week we talked about this, that because Christ has been resurrected, Christians will be resurrected. We talked about that a little bit, and we, we thought about, man, hey, that's the guarantee, that's the promise, that's the, the certainty. Because Christ has risen, it means that we're going to rise. And so today, I want us to see the second side of that, the, the other difference that Christ says that, that's going to happen because of His resurrection. So I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 20 through 28, Okay. And again, uh, I'm going to not have you stand today. We're going to get back into it next week. Uh, but I want you to understand that, man, when God is speaking, we need to give Him respect. So whether we stand right now or not, whatever you're doing in the room, can I just get you to please focus in on the Word of God. If you're on your phone, if you're talking to your neighbor, if you've kind of zoned out, zone back in, because I don't want us to disrespect the fact that God is speaking. Amen? So let's look in verse 20 of the text. The Bible says this, right? We covered this last week. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, or in other words, we explain it, the guarantee of those who are asleep. This principle, right? For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. That's the promise. And then we talked about this idea that there's got to be order to this. So each in their own order. Christ the first fruits. And after that, those who are Christ at his coming. That's right. We talked about that. That this is the guarantee, right? That we're going to be raised. Now, here's some new material for you. Then comes what, church? What is that about? Well, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until... He has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be abolished is what, church? Yeah, amen. He has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be also subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Paul, please help me. What are you saying, bro? That's just like one of those passages like, what? I'm going to try my, my, my best. I'm going to try my best to help you make some sense of this. And rather than kind of giving you a whole bunch of points like I normally do, I just kind of want to walk through it to you, just kind of telling you what's, what's there. But here's the big picture this morning. Is it because Christ was resurrected, not only are Christians going to be resurrected, but the cosmos will be restored. The cosmos will be restored. Look there in verse 24. He says these words. Paul says, he says, then comes the end. And I use this word restoration because everything's going back to where, where it came from. Everything's going back to where it began. He says, then the end. Now, for the most of the part, when we see the end, we think the end like the end of a movie, right? The end of the movie comes on, the credits roll up, the lights come on, and we go home. But here, it doesn't mean the end as in the end of a, of a movie or the end of a train, but it means the end of a sequence. So telos, that word there in the Greek, means the, fulfill, excuse me, the fulfillment or the culmination or better yet, the purpose or the goal. 
So, so then properly translated, you say, then comes the goal, then, then comes the purpose, then comes the, 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 the meaning. You've got to think that way when you hear that word, then, uh, the end. Then the thing which God has been pointing to all along, that will come. So somebody's probably going to ask, well, when? Well, Paul says, then. <laughs> and that's not the Greek word that Paul would mean to, if he wanted to say it now, immediately, this is going to happen. He doesn't use the word tote, he uses the word aita, and that means after an interval. So then the purpose is going to come after an interval is what he's saying. So there's something that has to happen during the interval. In other words, between, between when Christ comes for the rapture and then when the purpose of it all is kind of revealed. Prophetically, we know from studying other books of the Bible that there's a rapture. And then there's this thing called the tribulation, which is incredible death and destruction. And the 144,000 Jewish witnesses are going to be out there. The abomination of desolation by the, 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 ray, the rise and, and the reign of the Antichrist. And then the Antichrist finds his ruin. And then after that, there's this battle out there. And then, then Christ finally just kind of settles it all. After all that, that's the end. That's the purpose. So then what is that? Well, let's find out because he tells us there in verse 24, the second part. He says, when he hands over the kingdom of God uh, to the God and Father, and when he's abolished all rule and authority and power. You see, the end goes right back to where, to where it all started. The end, we all go right back to God. Everything goes right back to the Father. Everything goes right back in restoration. Everything's restored to God and by God, and the kingdom is given to God. That's the goal of everything. See, God created a paradise, and that paradise was lost. And God calls the paradise back, and that's paradise restored. In the end, it will be as it was in the beginning. There will be no sin and God reigning. So let's go on to see what these verses say. He says, then comes, or literally the goal, the purpose, after an interval, it comes when Christ gives the kingdom over. So verse 24, he says, after the, he says, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until... So there's another, another thing, right? Another time slot until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And there's two he's there that might confuse you a little bit. It says, when he hands over the kingdom, when he has abolished all rule and authority, and he must reign until he has put all his enemies. Who, who are these he's? One is Christ and one is the Father. And I'll help you understand what it means this. Think of it this way, for God the Father has put all things under Christ's feet. That, that's how you should probably think about that. Here's briefly what's happening in those verses that, that we can know from studying the whole context of God's Word. Christ takes the kingdom. Christ subdues all other kingdoms, all other rules, all other authorities, all other powers, and He establishes the kingdom. He builds the kingdom, and He squashes all rebellion. And then in the end, He takes the kingdom, and He does what with it? He presents it to his father. That's what those verses are talking about. So follow this great truth here. This is the consummation of everything. Here we see that Christ is reigning. We, we talked about that last week. First, Christ has to come at the rapture. Then there's a resurrection. And when the resurrection happens, then Christ begins at the end of verse 24 to rule the earth. 
And when he's ruling over the earth, there's all rule and all authority and all power. He rules over it. And it takes him a little while to do this because the first phase of the resurrection of the future is the church. And after the church is raptured, this is when Christ moves in for a thousand year literal reign where he's reigning and ruling right here on the earth. And we read about that in Revelation chapter five, but think this way. Christ in Revelation chapter five, he takes a title deed. It's called a scroll. You know, the seven-sealed scroll, you've heard about that. That seven-sealed scroll that, that Christ takes in his hand is the title deed to the earth. And he begins to unroll that scroll. This is the title deed to the earth, and as he unrolls it, he breaks its seals, and it's a picture of him taking the earth and all that it is and giving it back to the Father. He takes it from the usurper, whom Satan is in control of all that now, and he takes it right back, and he gives it back to his Father. You read Revelation chapter 5 through 19 through chapter 20, and this talks about how Christ takes the earth back and establishes his rule and how he subdues all authority, power, dominion, and rule. He squashes the rebels, and he crushes all rebellion. And at the end, Satan is loose for a little time. And Satan brings about a worldwide rebellion, and then Christ puts that rebellion out, and all rebels are finished, and all dominion is broken, and he reigns supreme. And that's what verse 25 says. He will reign continually throughout the thousand years until all of his enemies are put under his feet. When it says there that he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet, that's a military term. It's, it's used with this idea of subjection. In two ways, kings were always elevated on higher seats and subjects below were to come to them and they would bow to them. And so Christ will be the king and everybody else will be under that and they will bow to him. There will be no other rule. There will be no other authority to bow to. It will only be Christ. But even during that thousand years reigns, there will be rebellion. And we know it. Why? Because the Bible tells us elsewhere that during that time, he's going to have to rule with a fist of iron. Which means that there's a lot of rebellion going on, but Christ finally just squashes that. And then finally, Satan, who has been bound for a thousand years, is released at the end. In Revelation chapter 20, he explains it all, and then, then Christ just squashes that rebellion and, and then just casts Satan and all those with him into the lake of fire. And so verse 26 says, and then the last enemy that would be abolished is death. He destroys death, I and mean, that's a great thing, right? He squashes every enemy. I mean, he's already won the victory over death in the grave. Y'all know that. When he got up from the grave, he, he, he won victory over the grave. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says that he already destroyed him who had the power of death, Satan, on the cross. And so when he came out of the grave, he broke the power of death. So he's already gained the victory over death, but ultimately he's going to put death to death. He will destroy death. There will be no more death. And so in Revelation 21, it says there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, and there will be no more death. The last enemy, death itself, will, will be put to death, and Christ will rule. But you say, well, after he rules, what does he do? Well, 24 says, then the end, he will deliver that, that kingdom to God the Father. Now watch, that's the millennial kingdom passing into an eternal state. The thousand-year millennial kingdom passes into an eternal state, and that's when God brings the new heaven and the new earth. In chapter 5 of Revelation, John is looking at a vision in heaven, and he's looking around, and somebody says, who's worthy to take the scroll? Who's worthy to take the, the, the back of the earth? 
And they all look around, they, they can't find anybody, but all of a sudden, this lamb comes forth and they begin to cry, he is worthy, the lamb is worthy to take the scroll and to open the scroll, the, the lamb. And Jesus Christ takes the assignment from the Father to redeem the earth, and he goes about and he does it, and when he's all done, when he's all finished, he finished coming as a baby, he's finished living as a man, he's finished dying and rising and coming back, he's finished with all rebellions, he scrubs all the enemies, he kills death, and then he does what? He takes takes all that and he just says, here, Father, I've completed the work you gave me to do. That's amazing. It's all done. He's reigning as king of kings and lord of lords. And he's got all the redeemed and all gathered together. And all the unbelieving ones are gone and they've been judged and they're all put away. And all that's left is the redeemed in glory, just giving God praise forever. How great thou art. What great things he has done. He says, Father, I did my task. I give you the kingdom back. That's what the Bible calls the eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth. There's no more rebels, and all the kingdoms are under the feet of Christ. And then in verse 27, he says this, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. He says God the Father is going to put all things under the feet in that kingdom, but he adds one thing, but... When God the Father says, all things are put under Christ, it is obvious that God the Father is the exception. The Father is not going to be subject to the Son. In other words, somebody might say, when he puts all things under Christ, does that mean that God the Father goes under Christ? No, that's the exception. I have to be clear on that. God is not subject. He's not ever going to be in submission to the Son. The Son's always going to be in submission to the Father. But in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that's right. In John 5, he talked about the fact that God the Father had given him that authority and right to reign and judge. And now he's going to give it right back to the Father. And so he squashes all of his enemies and everything subject to him except God himself. And it says there, and he gives it so that God can be all in all. If you notice that in verse 28. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the kingdom that he gives to the Father? That's a big question. Like, what, what is the kingdom that Jesus has given to the Father? And, and let me be simplistic, but not simple. The kingdom that Jesus presents back to the Father is just people. It's all the redeemed people of all the ages. So then let me help you make this all make sense because some of you are like, where did this come from? This seems so out of left field. How does this tie into making a difference? Because part of the argument goes like this. If there is no resurrection, then Christ didn't rise. If Christ didn't rise, then he cannot take the earth and give it back to the Father. But then they were thinking, well, it is Christ who rose. It's the rest of us who won't. And so Paul helps them there. He says, listen, if we don't rise, then there are no subjects for that kingdom for, God to give back, for Christ to give back to the Father. You see, the resurrection is that which makes the whole finale a reality. As all died spiritually and physically in Adam, so all alive are spiritually and physically in Christ. If there's no physical life, then there's no millennial kingdom. If there's no millennial kingdom, then there's no restored earth. If there's no restored earth, then God lost it in the garden and never got it back. And that just simply can't be. 
And so you see the resurrection of Christ makes a huge difference. We rise, and because of that, that means that he can reign, and then we can reign with him in the earthly kingdom. And then when that's all done and all the enemies are restored, he can give us all to the Father as a glorified humanity in resurrected form. And we go back to where we came, walking and talking with God, God reigning in no sin. And then in verse 28, he says this, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Christ, in his incarnation form, even in that day, acts out the role of humility in submitting himself to the Father. Christ is forever the servant. And from the time he was given a body to the time he came back to the world to the time he presents it to God, Jesus Christ is always the servant. That blows me away. He never changes. And you say, well, then God is all in all. Does that mean that Christ doesn't reign anymore? Well, no, Christ will keep on reigning. Yeah, you see, remember back in Luke chapter 1, the Bible says this, Fear not, Mary, for behold, you found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. And you shall call his name what? Jesus. And he will be great and be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him a throne of his father David. Now listen to this. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. And of his kingdom will be what? No end. He will reign forever, forever. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 says he will reign forever and ever. You know what I love? I love to illustrate it like this. Revelation 3 says to him who overcomes, that's meaning us. I will grant, Jesus said, to sit down with me in my throne. Now think about this. Where is the throne of Christ? Well, the throne of Christ is in the Father's throne. So what's Jesus really saying? Ultimately, he's saying my throne and the Father's throne is your throne. In other words, all things go back to God. As in the beginning, we're all coming out of God. In the end, we're all going to return to God, and we're going to reign with him and rule with him, and that's how it's going to be. Jesus said... I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I made everything and all things resolve in me. That's where history's going. That's where it's all headed. Everything came from God, and we're all going right back to God. And the resurrection made that possible. He says all in all, that God may be all in all. That's very confusing. Lots of scholars, lots of theologians have debated what that means through the years. In my simplistic mind, I have to kind of break it down like this. What it really, I think, in my humble opinion, I could be wrong but I, because this is so confusing. But in my opinion, here's what I think that means for God to be all in all. It means the complete sovereignty and supremacy of God will be acknowledged by every single being. That Satan, the Antichrist... The angels, the demons, the lost, the saved, all of creation will acknowledge the complete sovereignty and supremacy of God. He will be all in all. You see, when God made humanity, folks, he made a humanity of righteousness. Well, the plan that they would dwell with him forever. And when humanity sinned and lost that righteousness, God didn't give up the plan. God says, I'm going to raise him to a new level of righteousness, and I'm going to gain them the entrance back into my kingdom. That's his story, folks. That's what history is all about, that God may be all in all. And not in a mystical Greek philosophical way. We don't float back into some deity. But we are united with God by the common life that flows through us 
And we sit with him on his throne. And Christ who is on the same throne. And the Holy Spirit is on that same throne. So beloved, Christ was resurrected. That means we're going to be resurrected. But Then also the cosmos will be restored. Something interesting as Jeremy and the team comes. Throw this out for free. In the Bible, in the book of Revelation, when it says that Christ is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, you know what that literally means? Watch this. It means that Christ is going to uncreate it and then create it again. Not only does Christ have the power to speak the world into existence, he has the ability to unspeak it and then speak it again. Blows my mind. You're saying, what, what difference does that make? <laughs> what difference does all this really make? Psalm twenty-two twenty-eight says it this way. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. I've told you this before. i tell it to you again. You're going to be the subject of Christ's kingdom. You can do it voluntarily, or you can do it involuntarily. But your knee will be made to bow. God, in his holy justice, demands that a payment for sin be made. If God were to look over sin, he wouldn't be just anymore. So yes, man was made to walk and talk with God in the garden. You, you guys know that. That's the story. But we rebelled against God. We did exactly what God said we shouldn't. And so as all are in Adam, all die. The wages of sin is still death, friends. The Bible says that all who are in Christ will live. That means that the gift of eternal life is found through Christ. And so here's, here's what I guess maybe in a roundabout way I'm trying to say. Would you rather spend eternity with Christ in His kingdom, reigning and ruling with Him? Or would you rather spend eternity outside of that forever being punished for your sin. And here's, here's the deal, folks. I shared it in the adult Bible study I led this morning. Here's something that I want you to understand theologically. You're going to get a physical body, whether you're a believer in Christ or not. And your physical body will be suited for one or two places to reign with Christ in heaven or to suffer wrath in hell. You will never escape a physical body. So you will be in torment forever and ever. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to tell people the facts. So you're going to be resurrected going to enter into one or two places forever and nothing will change that 
Did you know that right now while you're alive is the only time you can ever receive forgiveness? There is no second chance. There is no hoping somebody prays you out of something. There is no, well, I hope my good outweighs my bad. That's nowhere in the Scripture. But God says, listen, I love you so much. I do not want to do that. I came and I basically came and suffered my own wrath upon my own self so that you wouldn't have to. That's crazy kind of love, isn't it, church? Think about that. And everything that's wrong will be made right and Christ is going to redeem it all and it's going to be presented back to Him. And it's going to be an amazing story. I just don't want you to miss that. Christ's resurrection makes all the difference. Maybe if you're watching online, maybe if you're driving through and you're listening to this by way of the radio, here's my challenge to you. If you can disprove the resurrection, I will publicly get up in this church and I will tell everybody that I have lied to them and that I'm a phony and that I'm a fake and I deserve to be put in jail. Because I know you're never going to be able to disprove it. You may deny it, but you will never disprove it. I can deny that that outlet over there on that wall, I can deny that it has electrical power. But if I go there and put my finger in that socket, I won't be able to deny it for very long. Amen? You can deny it all you want to. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Have more proof, proof. That Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Have more proof in my office that Jesus rose from the dead than that the Library of Congress has that Abraham Lincoln was the President of the United States of America. We're not just believing in some fairy tale, folks. This is literally the deal. And so here's where I told you, remember? Remember? I said, here's where I'm like, they won't think I'm a good preacher. Here's why. Because I'm just laid out to you the truth. And, but here's what I know. God takes His Word and does amazing things with it. I just know that. I wonder if you just rise your feet just for a moment. I want you to think about this with me. If all of what I'm saying, not what I'm saying, but all of what God has said is true, then our response should be something. What do you think it should be? What do you think the response to today's message should be? There's only one response, and that's got to be praise. Thank you. I see those hands. So during this invitation, we shouldn't just be quiet. We shouldn't just be mumbling. We should be what? And Christ, you, you are going to... And that's where now I say, do we really believe what we just heard? Because if we did, it changes everything. There's hope, man. So I wonder today, and this song says, come to the altar, but I wonder right now, could we just go to the altar and just lift up praise to God? We will be resurrected and everything will be restored and we will be a part of what Christ offers back to the Father. And can you imagine what day that will be when the end finally comes? You longing for the end? Even so, come who? Come Lord Jesus. Let me pray and we'll sing. Father, today I pray that you're glorified through the praises of your people.
Jesus' name. Amen.